God, we want to thank you again. Woohoo! Look at this. Um, look what you're doing. Uh, and, and, and Lord, I echo Jim's heart is, is we don't want this to become our God, but we want this to be a place where people can meet you and know you and, and grow deeper with you and, and a community that can come together and, and grow as a community. And so, Lord, we just, we just, we thank you. What else can we say? This morning, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so you know, this is week number two in Lent. Lent is that time 40 days before Easter. And it's a time where we should be kind of focusing on our relationship with God. It's a time of spiritual reflection. Maybe we can call it spiritual house cleaning. That we would take stock in our faith and how we are actually living it. Maybe, maybe look at the things that are really important. Because here is my belief. I believe that the most important thing in anyone's life is their relationship with God through Jesus. And how you engage that relationship or not affects every part of your life. Every part of your life. And so Lent, Lent is a time to think about those things. To, to think about that, that spiritual side of you. To think about your relationship with your creator. Now, you know, I really thought a lot about what I wanted to say this morning. I mean, this is our, this is our celebration Sunday, right? We're just, we're like kicking off. This is all exciting. And I guess I could have came up with a, hey, look at what God did. He gave us this new building and all the cool things. But you know, God knows what he's, I mean, this is a God story. And so that would have been the end of the sermon. And, and I just thought, and I thought, and I believe it's important for us to continue in what God has given me to teach throughout Lent. Because I believe that this can be a time of spiritual awakening in many people's lives. That they could, they could come to a place of a, deep, of a deeper relationship with Christ. Maybe, maybe even come to a place of a new relationship. And so that's kind of the direction we're going in this morning. There's no, hey, we got a new building sermon. It's Hey, let's go to Genesis chapter 12 sermon. Oh, we're going to have to change that. It's a little small, huh? Can you see that in the back? Could you? Nice. I can barely see it up here. Oh, there it is. All right. Genesis chapter. No, I don't need that. I have perfect eyes when I'm sleeping. The Lord God said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Lot's his friend. So anyway, nobody caught that? Was I wrong? Who can give me the right answer? Okay, Tim's got treats for you in the children's church room. You can walk out there and get one. So, so here is Abram, and God gives Abram a command. He says, go, leave your country, leave your people, and leave your family. Leave everything behind, everything that's familiar to you. I want you to go. 
Now, not only was he leaving all of these things, he was also leaving, most likely, his inheritance. Because he was the eldest son, and so things would have been passed down to him from his father. And he would have got stuff, flocks, possessions. So God is not only asking him to leave his country, leave his people, leave his family, but leave status, leave possessions behind to walk away from it all. And you have to understand something. Family, during this time of our history as humanity, family, family was, was a lot more important. See, family meant something. You lived together and worked together, extended families. There was safety in that. And God said, Abe, I want you to go. I want you to leave all of that. And I want you to go to a place that I'm going to tell you where it is as you go. So leave everything that's familiar comfortable. Leave your home and travel to a place that has yet been disclosed. The destination is not clear, but God is pointing him in a certain direction. Now, God, we know because we have the story, has plans for Abram. He's got big plans for him. He's going to be the father of a great nation. And in fact, That's one of his promises. But we have to take into consideration this fact. Abram has faith in this God who has told him to leave everything behind. And the only thing he knows for sure is that God doesn't want him to stay where he is. And he wants him to go. And you know, in in this part of the story, he doesn't ask any questions. Sandy can't get me to go to the store without 20 questions. Why do we got to go to the store? What do we need at the store? Do we really need that now? Why do I have to go? Do we have to go? I mean, and that's just the store. But Abram has been asked to leave everything. And it doesn't look like he even asks a single question. But God's not going to leave him hanging. See, God is going to give him some promises. God says to him, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I'm going to bless you. For a man to become a great nation, it's going to take a little while. Abe is probably, you don't mind if I call him Abe, do you? Him and I are pretty close. So. Abe is probably going, not going to see this great nation. And so once again, this faith comes into play with him. Will he believe God's promise? Will he believe what God has told him? And go. And then it says, that he would be blessed. And God, because of his obedience, because of his faith, will bless him. And we don't know what that blessing is, that he doesn't know what that blessing is. And nowhere does it say that, that his journey is going to be easy. But God says, there's, there's going to be a blessing in this for you. And then he'll say to him, I will make your name great. And you, you will be a blessing to others. And so this man, this man called Abram right now, his name will be spoken among people for generations. He will have renown. And then there's that little caveat there that says, you will be a blessing. And so God is going to make him into a great nation. He's going to give him a great name. And he is going to be blessed But then it says, he will be a blessing. And so this divine 
experience that he has with God is not just to end up on him. But Abe is going to be a blessing to others. That he would bring prosperity. He will bring peace. He will be a blessing. God tells him straight up, man, it's not going to be easy for you. It's not going to go all kinds of smooth. There are going to be people that are going to bless you. And then there's going to be people that are going to curse you. Some people are not going to like what comes from your lineage, from your name. And they're going to want to continue to walk in the ways that they are walking. And they are not going to like you. And then, at the end of all these promises, God says this to him. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Man, that's, that's, that's something that, that just kind of messes with me a little bit. In the literal translation, it's like all the clans of the earth will be blessed through you. I mean, what does, he, what does it really mean? I mean, it's an honest question to ask. What is he talking about? Even, so even the people that come up against Abram and against this, this lineage that God is going to create, those people be blessed. Well, Abram goes. He doesn't know where he's going. You know what? To be honest, I got to think he's got some questions swirling around in his head. I mean, like, you know, why does God have to send me? Why, why can't he just do it here? It'd be much better if I could just stay here. But, and, and that could be pure speculation on my part. I don't know. But if he asked questions or not, it doesn't matter. He went. He had faith and he went. And it began this incredible journey for him. And it wasn't always easy. And it wasn't always mountaintop experiences. And his life was in jeopardy more than once. And it grew him and God tested him. And his faith grew deeper and deeper over the years. And it had ups and it had downs. You see, God, again, God never told him it was going to be easy. But he did tell him, it will be And so now let's fast forward to the Gospel of John. Almost down on this side, okay? Thank you. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus that night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can anyone be born again when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, oh no, I'm sorry, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and in the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, 
son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and he is a religious leader in this day. He's a very well-educated person, and he comes to Jesus with this set of, with, with a worldview and a religious view that's intertwined and it's very strong and very deliberate. The Pharisees had a very strict way of life. In fact, most people in those days could not live the life that they lived. Their religion was a religion of external doing, of laws and traditions and rules that they had to follow. They had rules to make sure that they didn't break the rules. Things like how, do you, how they had to sleep on one side or the other. I mean, all of these really very interesting, very difficult rules that they had to follow. And this guy shows up to see Jesus. And the story tells us he comes at night. And I believe that everything in the Bible is put in the Bible for a reason. And so Nicodemus comes at night. Now, I guess, I guess there be a, could be a couple reasons why he would come at night. I mean, what if, what if people saw him talking to Christ? This, this well-educated, prestigious leader of the Jewish tradition coming to talk to this radical, uneducated rabbi. See, the things that Jesus has been teaching, the things that Jesus has been doing, has been breaking all of the rules, going against everything that Nicodemus stands for, everything that he has been taught and believed in and how to live. Jesus is just kind of pushing against that. And so maybe he comes at night because he doesn't want people to see him talking to this, this, this rabbi with this following of people. But you know, this story is really our story, isn't it? We sometimes live our faith in the cover of night. I mean, maybe not literally at night, but in the cover of night. I mean, we leave, we leave church and, and we, leave, we leave our Christian friends. And then we go out into, into the world and our faith can get toned down a little bit. Maybe, maybe for some, their faith becomes this, this little personal secret they just like to keep. And things go on around you in your family, an extended family, in your schools, in, at your work, and it's just easier for you to be quiet. It's just easier for you to keep your mouth shut. Don't make any waves because, I mean, what are people going to think if you just come right out in the open and say or share what you believe based upon your faith in Christ. And sometimes it's, it's, just, it's just easier, man. Just keep your mouth shut. And so sometimes we too, we come to Jesus at night when it's comfortable, it's quiet, when, when there's no one around, when it's safe. Or, or maybe Nicodemus came at night because... You know, Jesus had quite the following. People, he was swamped with people all of the time. They were always following him around, always wanted to talk to, always wanted to, talk to him, always wanted to, to hear what he had to say, wanting to touch him. And you know, it was, it was those kind of people that followed Jesus around. It was, it was the, the drunks. It was the prostitutes. 
that followed Jesus around. It was the tax collectors and the common folk. It was sinners and fishermen, just the bad people. Those are the ones that were attracted to Jesus. And as a Pharisee, the word Pharisee means separate. And they would never intermingle with those people because sometimes they they would come across maybe a person who was sick and they would become ceremonially, they would just get unclean, ritually unclean. There's a better word, ritually unclean. And then they have to go through all these other rules and traditions to become clean again. So they they just distance themselves from those people. And besides, all of those people, that was the reason why That was the reason why the Jews were under Roman occupation because they did not get it right and they were not living their life for God. It was their fault that God was punishing the entire nation because of those people. But you know, we kind of do the same thing. I mean, maybe maybe a little different, but we, we do the same things. We love our Bible studies, right? I mean, we like church. I'm not knocking church. I kind of like church. I go like almost every Sunday. We, we go to our conferences, and, and these, are, these are good things. I mean, I'm, I'm not knocking them. Okay, just maybe a little, but I'm not really knocking them in a big way because they are important to us. But, man, I mean, I have to get out there with, with those people, the broken people, the, the drunks, prostitutes. Man, that, that takes time. I'm a busy person. I have an office now. You check it out. I, I don't, I mean, really? I mean, that can get messy and dangerous. Have you ever been to the inner city? It could be dangerous in the inner city. And then, and then I might have to do something like talk to them. Maybe I have to share my life with them. You know what's easier? I could just stroke me a check and hand it to an organization that can handle that for my, I mean, that's just much easier than to have to deal with those people. Have you ever met those people? They use potty mouth all the time. Uh-huh, I've heard it. I know some of you use potty mouth too while you're driving in your car. Uh-huh. And they drink at bars. And they drink Budweiser and listen to country music. That alone should damn them to hell. I mean, I'm only kidding. <laughs> but those people, Really? And so sometimes our faith isn't a faith at all, but it becomes a religion of convenience. And so his story is our story. Our story is his story, but I digress. Where was I? Okay, so Nicodemus, he comes to see Jesus. And he comes with all these smooth talking pleasantries. He's like, oh, God must be with you because, you know, all these cool things are going on. And, and he's got he's to be asking some questions too. Here's a guy who has dedicated his life to the study of the Bible, probably has the whole thing memorized, the study of the Bible, living the traditions and the laws and the rules. And he can't do the things that Jesus is doing. They don't have the following that Jesus has. They don't have people's ear like Jesus has. And so he's got to be wondering, what is it in this guy that is just, what is God doing here? And Jesus won't have any of that schmoozing. None of the pleasantries. He's going to get right to the point. And what he's about to say is going to just 
twist everything that Nicodemus has lived and believed for his entire life. It's going to start to deconstruct it. And Jesus looks at him. and He doesn't answer a question. He doesn't respond to his, his flattery. He says to him this, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. And what he is saying, you know, you want to live your life for God? You want to enter into this, this kingdom life? There needs to be a radical change in here. Something has to take place in here. There has to be a rebirth in here. And this has to be a little confusing for Nicodemus because he doesn't quite get it. And he starts to, he starts to think, well, how can a man, an old man, get back into the womb again and be born again? I mean, it's a great idea, isn't it? Imagine having a do-over. Just all of the mistakes in your life erased, gone, and you get to start over fresh from the very beginning. I mean, it sounds good. Personally, I believe I would mess up just as much. But anyway, maybe some of you would do better at it. And it's got to be a nice thought. But Nicodemus knows it's impossible for this to happen because he's missing what Jesus is trying to tell him. He's missing the point completely. And so Jesus is going to have to explain a little bit. He's going to go on. He's going to talk about some very deep things that we're just not really going to get into. But he says, he goes, listen, Nick, flesh gives birth to flesh. It means, means people make people. Understand that? You're looking a little confused. Please don't make me explain that, okay? It's a bit awkward. People make people, but the spirits gives birth to the spirits. That the spirit of God changes something in the person's life, in the person's spirit, and there is a renewal and a rebirth. That the spiritual kingdom enters into the everyday. And it's alive. It's well. And it's living. And it's active. And this is something that only God can do a spiritual rebirth, something new, something different than following just rules and laws and the regulations that Nicodemus was used to following. And Jesus tells him, listen, man, don't be surprised at what I'm telling you here. Don't, don't, this has been spoken of by the prophets long ago. It was spoken of in Isaiah. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God has wanted to do something new from the very beginning, continually renewing and calling all of his creation back to himself. It's been his plan ever since the garden, ever since the fall. And Jesus Jesus is ushering in that newness. Jesus is bringing that to fruition, the spiritual rebirth. There is something, there is something that will bring us into the kingdom of God. There is something that brings us into the life that God would have for us. And that person is Christ, in Christ alone, 
you know, living as a conservative Republican, mm -mm, not going to do it. Liberal Democrat, nope. Going to church, mm -mm, not going to do it. Baptized, confirmation, uh -uh, not going to do it. Following the traditions, trying to get the rules right. Man, we can't even live by the Ten Commandments, right? Think we're going to get all the other rules? Driving the speed limits, it's not going to get you there. The only thing that opens the door to the kingdom of God is a spiritual rebirth of the power of God's spirit through Jesus. The only thing that opens the kingdom of God to people is the power of God's spirit through Jesus. And so Jesus lays this whole thing out for Nicodemus. He says, man, why don't, why don't you get this? You're a teacher. And you, don't, and you don't understand this. If you don't understand, this is like JV stuff, freshman stuff. If you don't get this, how are you going to understand the deeper things of heaven? How are you going to understand those truths? And then he's going to lay on him one of the most quoted verses in the entire Bible. We've taken it. We've watered it down quite a bit. You know, we've, we've put it on coffee cups. We put it on T-shirts and on, and on bumper stickers and things like that. Hallmark makes a lot of money from this verse because they put it on all their cool cards. But it's a verse of profound weight and complexity and truth. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. The promise that God gave to Abram in Genesis 12 is now being realized in the world. God's love is not confined to a nationality, an ethnicity, a group of people, elite group of people, a country. God loves the world. All of his creation, he loves and you know, if we really start to think about that and think it through, that can get really messy. That can mess with us a little bit, even for the Christian, because you know why? That means that God loves Gaddafi. God loves the murderer. God loves the suicide bomber. God loves a rapist. And you know, that, that will mess with you. Anybody that has hurt you in your life, God loves that person. You see, the love of God is bigger than what we can ever understand. And in fact, the love of God is scandalous. It is a scandalous love that we will never be able to understand. Now, please understand something here. I am not talking about our, our salvation. I'm talking about God's love for his creation. Because there's something more to this verse than just for God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that word to believe, believe in, it's more than just, yeah, okay, yeah, I get Jesus. Jesus is, 
Jesus. I, I understand that. It's about, it's about uh, confidence in him. It's about a desire to follow him. It's putting your faith in him. God's love has initiated a plan for new life, for full life. God sent Jesus because he loves the world. The blessing of promise that was given to Abram is being fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Faith in him is new life. And not just new life when you're dead. Not just, this is not just about going to heaven. This is about today. This is about this very moment. New life now. I mean, God can do much more than just get you to heaven. It's about every day, man. Every, every day. Every conversation. Every moment. Every, every encounter you have with someone. But you see, this faith, this belief has to call us to action. Abram was called by God. He had faith in God, faith in his promise. And when God called him, guess what he did? He went. His faith motivated him to action. And he was made right before God because of his faith, because of his willingness to go. And it didn't make sense at all. And it was difficult. And his journey was hard. And he had to sacrifice a lot of things. His entire family he had to leave behind. The comforts of his life. But he had faith. And that faith motivated him to action. And he went. He followed God. And my question, do you have that same faith? Do you have that same faith that motivates your life to action? Jesus tells Nicodemus, man, you know, things have got to change inside of you, in your spirit. There has to be a spiritual awakening in your life. And only God can do that. And it's, and it's faith that is anchored in the person of Jesus Christ that allows that spiritual awakening to take place. And it's not stagnant, but it's a faith that's alive and it's living and it, and it causes us to move. It causes us to move in the direction of Jesus. It causes us to move in the direction of his kingdom. And I want to be straight up with you. It's going to cost you. And there's no way around it. It is going to cost you. It's not something that's just to be taken lightly. God may call you into strange places, uncomfortable places, dangerous places. God is going to ask you to put other people before yourself. He wants you to give up your stuff, give up, walk through life with your arms open instead of with your fists clenched. You might be called to leave your family, the comforts of your home. Oh, but God would never make me do that. I mean, I'm not really a missionary. Mm, nice try. I'm glad you know more than God. You see, there's a cost to this faith because it's to motivate us. Action. But there's another cost to it. 
It's going to cost you a life lived in hopelessness because Jesus Christ is our living hope. It's going to cost you a life lived without purpose. It's going to cost you a life lived without purpose because listen to me, eyes up here, hear me. Everyone has been born with a divine purpose to their life and it's your choice whether or not you live that divine calling. But you have all been created for a purpose, a divine purpose. It's going to cost you to be freed from addictions, free from anger, free from fear, fear, uh, free from, from your lusts, free from anxieties. So see, there is a flip side of the coin of cost. And listen, I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to sugarcoat this for you. I have a friend who termed it crackerjack Christianity. Kind of like, you know, all sugar-coated with a nice little prize inside. Like, oh, I'm going to come to Jesus and everything is going to be much better now. You know what? Sometimes that's the case. But sometimes that takes years because you got to work through some of your junk and you got to work through your brokenness. But I'm here to tell you, I'm an example of Jesus putting together someone who is broken. And I've given my life over to that promise. And so it will cost you both sides of the coin. And so here we are, the second Sunday of Lent, our celebration Sunday. Today's the first day of spring, actually. Like 7.30 tonight or something like that, spring starts. And I want you to begin to think about your faith. Is your faith motivating you to action? Or maybe, maybe you, you need to find faith. Maybe it's something that's very foreign to you and you're just trying to figure it out. That's okay. Don't give up search. Don't give up the search. Is your faith moving you to action, to follow Christ no matter what, no matter what he asks of you? Have you been transformed at all? Or has faith just become another word to you? Just this, this stagnant thing, it's just a word, or it's just a Sunday morning trip to a building to see some bald guy in his new shirt, by the way, stand on a chair and kind of yell at us. <laughs> Marshall's twelve ninety nine. sweet. Is your faith moving you in the direction of Christ? Have you been transformed? Is your life a reflection of the life Jesus has called you to live. It's a question we all have to wrestle with. Has the Spirit of God changed you? Pray. God, we Lord, I pray that we will not leave this place without even just a quick call to you 
God, deepen the faith of the people in this room. God, let your spirit rest upon each person in this room. Move them to a place of of desire to follow your son. Move them to a place to to want to live this life, this journey that you have, have want to set them on, that they would know purpose and they would know hope. And they would be free from the chains that might bog them down. And God, I pray. Pray for peace, grace, and mercy. I pray for those who may be struggling in their faith. God, you're a merciful God. Help them. God, answer their questions. Bring people into their lives to to come around them. Help them through this journey. And as always, we thank you for the gift of your son and the gift of faith. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.